This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Africa is the next frontier for global business, presenting a rare growth opportunity in a stagnant world. But navigating this complex continent with more than one billion people can be exceedingly difficult, and many businesses have failed to make a lasting impression in the region. Kenyan business tycoon Manu Chanderia, chairman and CEO of the multi-billion dollar privately held Comcraft Group, explains in an interview with Knowledge at Wharton how he mastered the African market and how others can follow his lead. Dr. Manu Chandere, so nice to have you here at the Wharton School. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So there is a lot of talk right now about Africa and uh, all the ripe opportunities on the continent. And I wanted to ask you, uh, as one of Africa's foremost business leaders, how does the rest of the world participate in Africa's growth today? Well, right now, I think that the people who really want to make a difference and want to really make imprints they are going to Africa without asking, specifically the China. And after looking at China, the India, the Malaysia, the Indonesians, even the Koreans, they're all coming very fast, and they want to make an impression there. Uh, the question is that Africa is growing, at least this, out of the 10 topmost investment destinations today, six of them are in Africa. Uh, this is Eastern Africa, it's Kenya, it's Angola, it's South Africa, it's Nigeria, and in Tunisia. Uh, and uh, there are many more. So I think that there is a huge potential right now that everybody is rushing because I think Africa is now providing a stable political climate ever before. And number two, that almost all the developing developed countries are now finding it extremely difficult in growth. Now, Africa is going to grow probably at 6% for coming years now. Yeah. I think you mentioned a number of very interesting points in your answer. I want to really uh, take one of them. I mean, if you were going to start on the continent today, which sectors or which country would you look at first? If I got an appetite which is big enough, I'll go to Nigeria. There's 140, 140 million people, number one. Number two, it also supports surrounding, surrounding countries, which are another 50 million. So that is almost a quarter of Africa, yeah. that area. So I would, I would, I'd go if I got that capacity to really handle that. If my capacity is small, then I'll go into East Africa, because again, East Africa is 180 million people from Kenya, Uganda, uh, Tanzania, Burundi, Rwanda, and now we're expecting Southern Sudan to join. That's very good. But are there specific sectors that you would look at as you went to those countries? Well, uh, our sectors which we are now doing is the housing and shelter. And I think that that is ever-growing. I don't think that we will change that for anything else right now. Uh, we are not very, very sure that whether it will go into electronics or software or telephony, because that's not our speciality. Our speciality over the last uh, 70 years or 80 years has been built on aluminum and steel. And I think that there is a great need for both of them. Yeah. But let me ask you another question. So you, I think you have had the benefit 
of building a major uh, conglomerate out of Africa and having invested in other parts of the world, in India, in China, in the US, in Europe, how would you compare managing your investments outside of Africa to the one in Africa? Because sometimes people say, yes, but Africa is tough to do business. I think you have the perspective of being able to compare the two. What can you tell us? No, I think the managing businesses in Africa for us, because we've been there for so many years, we understand uh, how, it, how it manages and how to manage it. Uh, we find that uh, specifically in, in the last 10 years, because of the downturn in economy, both the United States, Canada, and Europe, uh, we are finding it that managing businesses there are more difficult than ever before. I think the managing businesses in India is very competitive to us. We are Indians, but we still cannot manage a very strong and a sound business in India because it's very competitive. Uh, to me, also, managing businesses in Australia, New Zealand, China, it's easy because they are very focused on certain areas. as well, It's easier. But to me, because most of us came from Africa and we can understand the pulse of Africa, Uh, to us, it's quite easy too. Very good, very good. But you mentioned understanding the pulse of Africa. Can you tell us more about the type of mindsets it takes to succeed in business in Africa? Uh, first, you've got to accept that it's a third world country. It's not a first world country. If you are thinking about the comforts of the first world country, it's not there. But if you want to make sure that two multiplied by two becomes four and four multiplied by four, become 16, then that's the area. So Pulse in Africa means uh, there are speciality in every country. There are 60 countries in Africa, or a little more than that. But each one has got its speciality. And those speciality, if you can really capitalize on those specialities, I think that you are making a great... Can you give us an example? Well, as for example, let's say telephony. Uh, recently, the, um, the company in Airtel from India decided that they want to enter in Africa. They've been thinking about the last five years. All of a sudden, they came back and said, all right, we'll buy the whole company. 16 African countries. They're now in one go. That's one. Uh, in telephony and also in, in telecommunication, China is getting very, very fast, very fast inside. Um, if you take the um, computers and uh, all those products, or ICT, uh, I think that uh, all the Western world, uh, Korea, and the Japan, and at the same time, the United States, Europe, they're all forerunners there. So it depends upon where you are going and which particular part you're going. If it's textile, obviously, it's not the cup of tea for for UK, for, for Europe, or for USA, it's Chinese. And China sometimes is wondering, you know, today they supply about 22% of the world government, world. And their ambitions are to go up to 33%. They think one country, 1.2 million people, providing one third of the governments, every third government of the world, of 7 billion people, that's, that's a huge, But I would like to actually come back to that point of China. I think there has been quite a bit of debate around China's involvement in Africa. And, and 
most of the the undertone that you hear is rather negative, where people say, oh, yes, but you know, China is trying to replace the West in Africa, and we don't think it's for the benefit of the Africans. What do you say to that? Well, there are two ways of looking at it. I think that, this, that the West had, for last 10 years, has not really pushed what is known as social amenities. They pushed more political. They supported parties and supported government and this. While these people came along and said, first thing they will do, build a stadium. Second thing they will do, build a road. Third thing they will do, build a airport. Fourth thing they will do, uh, build a, uh, a, a, a hospital. You know, these are very much near to the hearts of the people. It's not something which is funding the government and saying, this is your budget deficit. So I think that it is its own style of doing things. And they know that they want so much more from Africa, specifically all the oil, that they can have it. All the um, other um, um, copper, aluminum, bauxite, anything that you can talk of that, that can be done, it's available in Africa. And they've got just, they open up and they say, there it's, take it, iron ore. And to me, that's one part. The second part is what they are not doing, and which is very much necessary for them to understand, that you cannot take the jobs of Africans into China. You know, when something is there in the ground, we have not touched it. It's not touching us at all. If they come and take it out, it's well and good. But when there are 1,000 Africans employed in a plant, and then they start competing with those products over there and closes the plant or almost on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a last minute closer. That is stealing the jobs of Africans. And that's what, what you are saying is negative attitude. Why would China want to do that? Is it that China, China's own requirement and China's own middle class, and ultimately they'll have a, a, a lower middle class, they are itself an own big market. So I think that they should always trade and see that they do not put the feet on, on little feet there and then get a bad name. But otherwise, I think that as far as nobody was digging iron ore in Kenya, if they dig, well and good. Nobody is taking zinc from us. If they do it, well and good. Because it was not done anyway. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting point. Let me then ask you about some of the funds. There are major funds like Carlyle, like KKR, that, that are now coming into Africa. I was seeing somewhere that uh, the level of fundraising to invest in Africa is at a record high. How do such investors with a lot of capital coming from the West and the rest of the world partner with African entrepreneurs? What would you tell them? Well, I think that what they should be doing is that they, they, they should first have a, a model which will work. If it's a workable model, says, for example, uh, there's an agriculture project, then it will work in some part of Africa. They can put all the money that they want. That, that's not a problem. But at the same time, they must make very sure that African management is not replaced. They must cultivate a better management capabilities. If you bring everybody from outside and manage your project, a time will come that you're not transferring the know-how. Yeah. Yeah. 
So ultimately, I think that all these big projects that are coming through will probably be, you will find that there will be a, a level at which the local persons, a local uh, uh, intelligentsia will take over. Yeah. I think we've talked about all the good things that are happening in Africa, the opportunities, but I think you have the benefit of perspective. I mean, you have also lived through some of Africa's quote-unquote darkest moment. For example, Idi Amin in Uganda and some of the political crisis. What would you tell people about managing uncertainty and risk in Africa? Well, I would, if I would be, uh, my way of doing is to educate more people give them a choice, make them to understand what is good for them. Right now, it is not being done. Quite a bit of people are just being, you know, all these examples of has left a very bitter test. And many people, in says, for example, Kenya, 50 years, Kenyan still feels the whole generation which was born, which was 20-year-old, are now 70-year-old. At the time when the independence came, they felt, my God, it's going to be different. After 70 years, after another 50 years of their life, they're 70, nothing has changed. To them, they're very bitter. And the younger people, because they have no jobs, they're also very bitter. So I think that to me, the best thing is just to, this kind of, if the West is not very careful, and if West does not put the standards of governance, together with the standard of democracy, but standard of governance, in all fields, whether it's uh, education, whether it's government, government, whether it's banking, whether it's industry, the governance must be something which must be, they must start taking the, uh, the ownership. And I think that's the only way we can change. We have seen Idi Amin. Oh, Uganda used to be number one in East African territories. Kenya was a colony, Uganda was protected, and Tanzania was territory. And Uganda supported all the deficits of both Tanzania and Tanzania. Where they were there today? After I'm in gone, 50,000, 60,000 Asians were thrown out. He went, I don't know how many meetings Museveni had it in, in, in London, in other places, but only a few people came back. Now, to start something which was already there, to destroy them and restart again, it's a long process. And that's why still, they're fumbling, and, and yet not there, but they should be. I think there is a question there which is interesting, because you mentioned something about the need to give jobs and the needs to educate. I think that the business sector has a role to play in it as well. Uh, and so, and, and I mean, you started the foundation of your family, Shandar Foundation, back in 1953, long time ago. I wanted to ask you, from your experience, what can business do to be more reconciled with society? Well, I think that if, uh, if any business who has to remain there, they must remember that there is a, a social responsibility. Uh, for the last few years, we are pushing very hard the corporate social responsibility. Uh, in that, we feel that every person, if you get something out of this country, in terms of profits, in terms of development, in terms of growth, must also invest something in this. And specifically, education, health. I don't think they can, they can invest in, in building roads, but education, they can touch one, one life, they can touch 10 lives, they can touch 100 lives. It's necessary for them, each one of them, to take conscious decision 
that yes, they are going to be there, they will be making profits, they will be building their, uh, their, their setup. At the same time, they will make very sure that the people who are working and who are not working with them, they are benefited. And I think this is the most important part. But how do we make that happen? Because I think you, you have that belief and you are known to really walk the talk on philanthropy. But you are only one African business leader out of many. So how do we make it happen? Well, let's see, let's take, for example, in Kenya. Uh, it was in 56, when my, 53, when I told my father that, please, let's have Chandare Foundation. He looked at me and said, you are stupid. I said, what have I done wrong? Why am I stupid? He said, you've lived too long in the United States. I said, I've lived three years in the United States. He said, listen, we are not Ford. We are not Rockefellers. We have a big hole over here. Fill it up first. But I kept on arguing that we need a, a focal point where the family, if you are going to create wealth, then we must have an understanding that this wealth is not going to be wasted away. It's going to be also be responsible, and that wealth will support the projects and understanding. So in 56, I said, okay, fine, set it up. Now, in the last five years, we had we created Safaricom, which is the largest corporation, Safaricom Foundation. The other foundation is African Breweries, the second largest corporation, is African Breweries Foundation, KCB, Kenya Commercial Bank, again, that's a foundation. We are now pushing as hard as possible that if you have a possibility, create a foundation so that you have a compulsion that X amount of money is going to come out of your businesses and for profits, and that you're going to look for avenues where you can make a difference. And, and this is working now. But it's very difficult now when you ask me how many local Africans, local Africans, not conglomerate or of a company, like East African Breweries, is majority owned by probably still half, half 50% by overseas and 50% by local Kenyans. But there are many billionaires in Africa today. How many of them are doing it? That's where we go to crack. How can we give them some kind of an exposure and bring them around and make them feel, hey man, you want something. Now, let's become somebody in the society they will recognize. And this is a government play a, play a very important role. And other foundations, like our foundations, is supporting many, many people that come, come along. Let's hold your hand, we'll hold your hand, but let's go and do something good. I think it's uh, doing good, it's not that easy because it has to come both from your heart. Compassion has to come from here. It's not just writing checks and getting involved. The minute you start getting involved, I'm sure that you then start finding how life is difficult for the others. As long as you are not understanding that and you just write the check and say, take it away, that's not what we like to do. We want to see that each one of them, when I called the East African Brewery's managing director at opening up a clinic, he's there. He understands and sees and he finds that this clinic has no water. How can you run a health clinic without water? He says, okay, we'll put money, we'll 
create build up tanks now will create a borehole and the water will be available unless you see for yourself the difficulties in which the people live you cannot you cannot understand and that's why many a times you find that come and do the grassroots work the minute you do the grassroots work you don't have to be convinced you'll be convinced automatically but one of the things that have been uh, really really pushing for and really advocating for is entrepreneurship you are one of uh, africa's most prized entrepreneur you've started businesses you've closed some of them uh, what can you tell people that want to be entrepreneurs in africa how do we create wealth you mentioned that in your answer earlier how can they create wealth well the first thing is that you know first you got to have a fire in the belly you want to do, do something you want to become somebody without that looking around yes i will i will not no it's a risk the first thing is to take a risk and say yes i am going to go into that water if i don't take that risk then i cannot go i cannot be standing on the bystander and just look at it and say how do is the water is it cold is it warm is it hot no you cannot you got to be it and many times as i tell many a times you heard me that if you want to go to heaven you got to die first and so entrepreneurship is nothing but taking risks collecting the risks and failing if necessary failures always opens up another opportunity that is what you should be able to do it and take it if you don't have the stomach for it then you can just be not being able to do it but there is a possibility there is a necessity that people must wake up that there is a necessity for entrepreneurship to be in anything it's not only in business you're running a county council how can you run the best you're running a health clinic how can you run the best you know that's entrepreneurship is in every endeavor or human endeavor that you can put an entrepreneurship but the question is that first is to convince yourself are you want to do it or not are you prepared to take the risk are you prepared to go deep in it yes answer that yes and you'll fail so what it's not it's not that important but the minute you fail you then gain another experience that opens another door opportunity so i think that there is a tremendous necessity for people to become a little bit more daring and say yes but if you just say oh but you know it's not safe but you know you cannot go out. but you know but you know is not the answer uh, i was i was an engineer and uh, we started producing so much of goods we could not sell and so they asked me that why don't you go and, s- and start selling to another country so i went to uganda i didn't know how to sell anything and no goods over there but what i did was i carried my brief i went to every shop who could be my potential customers who were not buying very much because there was a competitor who'd given small quantities my quantities to come in large in a, in a big truck so i'd go and talk to them and I'll, what i read in the newspaper today is a problem with the children if there's an income tax problem 
what's happening in the world. You know, in a year, I made each one of them feel that if I, I'm there, I'll be the first one to get the order. The minute it happened, I opened up my Godard, and my competitor for 32 years came on running. Please. Because all those fellows were all fed up anyway. And the contact, the human contact of winning was the most important part. But it took me six, eight or nine months to establish myself, to say, hey man, how are you? What's the problem with you? How life is it? And all kinds of things. But it created one-to-one contact. And that's in by the time when I was ready, they're all ready. So I think that there's a question is that how deep individual want to build relationships. And world depends on relationships. It's one-to-one relationship, it's one-to-one country relationship, one-to-one continent relationships. If I go to Tanzania, I'm like there. If I go to Nigeria, I'm like there. Because they all now take me as an investor. Investor not only interested in profits alone, but a track record of that, yes, I'm also seeing that the population uh, gets something out of me. Because I've taken something from you, I'm sowing it back. And that's something which is very interesting. There is actually something that you said which was very interesting about the ability to really uh, deal with challenges. So I wanted to ask you, what is the biggest leadership challenge you have faced? And then how did you deal with it? What did you learn from it? You know, I, when I was, uh, when my, my elder brother was managing the businesses, and he said that, no, now you see you start spending some time with me. And every time his idea and my idea were just conflict, will not, will not meet. Uh, so every time there was an argument, so I asked myself, what am I going to do now? Am I going to win this man or am I going to fight this man? And I made up my mind, I'm going to win this man. Winning means what he said, I did it. The way he said, I did it. But I did better than what he would do. And then start, he all of a sudden started realizing, my God, He's doing exactly what I wanted him to do, but even better. That day onwards. So you go to first, you will meet this kind of crisis in life. That either you decide that yes, you want to set in the mold, which is already there, be inside, then break the mold. But if you don't get inside, you don't break. I could have just walked away and said, sorry, I don't want to be with you. But no, I thought that I want to win. Unless and until you've got that capacity of challenges, you know, you challenge yourself and say, yes, I want to win. Let me give a simple example in 2003, when the Kenya became uh, the new government after Moi came in. Uh, one day they, they called a whole meeting of uh, academias and NGOs and private sector and government. And they said one day, asked us, why don't we make one umbrella body of all the association, commercial association. So I laughed at him. And he said, why are you laughing? I said, I'm laughing simply. Because each association, there are 200, 
each association of chairmen and board of directors whose ego is bigger than their shoulder. Now, how do you expect me to put everybody into one go? He said, no, Mr. Chandar, you don't understand our problem. We are new in the government. We don't know which is the right, which is wrong. The, 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 the traders wants A, the manufacturers wants B, the transporter wants C, the governments want four. How can we manage this? Unless we know somewhere where we can get one advice that this is good for the country and this is what you will support. So next morning again they called us and we said, look. Then he said, I challenge you, Mr. Chandaria. So I asked my people, are we prepared to take a challenge? And everybody said, if you lead, yes. So we created. Then I made a set of government too. If we make create CAPSA, Kenya Private Sector Alliance, then on the other side, all the, all the doors of the ministers and PSs must be open for us. We must come to your office and we can discuss. It was done. But the point is that unless the challenges are thrown, unless the challenges are taken, you don't make anything. You can talk. That doesn't mean you'll make it. Talk does not make everything. Talk is initially necessary, but after talk, action is necessary. And once we delivered that, then it was okay. So, so any message you want to basically leave uh, potential investors, Africans, and leaders with as we close this interview? Look, uh, my, my only message to them is very simple. Destiny is in your hand. Don't expect somebody else to do it for you. You say, Mr. X dies and I go to heaven. No, it doesn't work. Destiny is in your hand. Unless you squarely make very sure, you are going to make it. And you are going to be in it. And for it, it's not going to happen. So to my simple, to every African that comes up, yes, it's not color. It's ability to say, I want to do it. I must do it first. There is a message to myself and say, I must do it. I want to do it. You can do it. There's nothing that's not successful. From 40 people, we started in when I came back from school, to 40,000 people. You cannot even think of it. How can it be done? In, in 25 years, we were in 25 countries. How come? It was all doable. So there's nothing sacrosanct about it that cannot be done. But you must believe in yourself, number one. Number two, you must take risk. Number three, you must be in it, involved. You don't involve, nothing happens. And your own destiny is in your hand, please remember. If anybody else paints for your destiny, that will be totally not work. So we are kept on asking that somebody else does the destiny for Africa. No, it cannot work. The Africans must die for themselves to make sure what they want to create. And the, the capacity is there. We are sitting on huge, huge, huge um, um, the land, water, uh, minerals, you name it, what's not there. But 
you must have that determination. They want to make it. And that determination is the most difficult one to make. Once you make it, you cross the border. Dr. Manu Shandaria, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And I, I'll appreciate that because this is a message which I certainly would like to see that it's been distributed, spread out. That destiny is with us. And we can make it. Thank you. Asante, thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.